in my car, in the trunk, <clears throat> I have a, a bag of um, clothing that I am uh, taking to, um, I don't know if I'll take it to Goodwill or to, uh, um, what's the one down here? St. Martin's. Um, however, what I want to point out is it's been in my trunk for 11 days. I don't know if you're like that where you get a bag of stuff you're going to donate and then you just drive it around for two weeks because you keep forgetting to. I got up this morning and uh, <clears throat> I went and, uh, you know, got shaved, got my shower and got fully dressed and then I reached for my phone, and my phone told me what time it really is, and that I was an hour ahead of schedule, because guess what I forgot to do? Set my clocks ahead. So I thought, well, I'll just you know, take my shoes off and lay back down and get a little more sleep. No, that wasn't happening. Um, I, I, my, my, later today, I am planning a surprise birthday party. It's for me. And by December, I'll have forgotten it. So when, when you get a card in the mail, just keep it quiet so I don't know. I'm kidding on that. But this is the kind of day I've been having. I've just not been with it. There's been several different things that I'm, I'm just not doing. I have a little program on my phone uh, where I write notes. And um, I keep um, things that reference things for myself on it. Um, I put my notes for my Sunday school class on it so that I can come in and just go from what's on my phone to teach my class. And I opened up that file today and all, or that program, and all the files were gone. They were just gone. History, I've got one that's sermon ideas and uh, all kinds of things. And it was just blank. Uh, so I panicked a little bit and... Um, then I just, uh, I don't know why, but I just created a new one, uh, just one that said test and hit save. And as soon as it popped out of that, all of the other ones came back. So I was very relieved at that. But I am, I'm having an off morning. And to top it off, I'm getting hoarse already. I was getting hoarse in Sunday school. I do have a glass of water and a uh, cough drop here, but I might not make it through <clears throat> six pages of sermon today. And all of God's people said? Amen. A while back, we went through some passages um, from the last bits of the letters in the New Testament. Uh, just things taken from those last few paragraphs in the different books. Partially just because I wanted to demonstrate that there is, in fact, some really good, solid stuff to be learned from those closing remarks. A few of them, yes, they, the last couple, three verses are just, hey, everybody here says hi. But there's a good uh, deal to be wrought from many of those, if not all of those passages, and none of it is wasted ink because it's all inspired by God. Today, I want us to look at the opening words of one of those letters uh, and see that there's some really good stuff in there too. Sometimes I think we just go, oh, this is the hello, I'm Paul, 
to, you know, whomever, and we just kind of don't even pay attention and breeze through that to get to the real meaty stuff, you know, the, the stuff with the good doctrine in it. But there's some good stuff in there, too. When I was a child, I learned how to, quote, properly write a letter to someone. I don't know what grade I was in, like first grade or second grade when they teach you how to write a letter. You know, you, you, you get the pencil out and you, you rest it on your shoulder because it's gigantic and you're like, dear grandma and grandpa. Oh, I misspelled that. Let's erase that there and tear through the paper and everything. And from that point on, until I was about 15, every single one of the letters that I ever wrote looked exactly like that. They, you know, I am fine, how are you? It's just like a form that, that you write when you're a little kid. Well, first century, there was a form that you generally used when you were writing a letter. And so if you read a lot of the letters, they look very familiar because it was a standard form of how you did things. But just like with the closing remarks, we need to look deeper than just, you know, dear the church at Rome from Paul. We need to look and see some of the meat that really is in those passages. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. We're going to do verses 1 through 7. Now, your bulletin says 1 through 6 because that's what I told Lucy. But after I was digging into it and writing more, I was like, no, I want to include verse 7 also. So Romans 1, 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians which is unique among all the churches that he wrote letters to. It's the only church he writes to that he did not start the church, and among whom he has not brought anyone to Christ. The church was started by somebody else. We don't know who. And they were all brought to Christ through the, someone else's teaching, not Paul's. Someone taught them the gospel. The church is thought to have begun as a Jewish Christian congregation, which eventually converted and admitted 
uh, some of its pagan Gentile neighbors into its numbers. And then, after the expulsion of many of the Jews from Rome, it's probable that when all these Jews had to leave, that the church became almost completely Gentile. After a time, most of those Jews were able to come back into Rome and the church became integrated again, though it was still mainly Gentile in its numbers. The Roman church is a place where Paul wants to go. He's been wanting to go to Rome for a long time and he tells them that, but the things keep getting in the way. He is prevented from doing so. He wants to use it as a base camp for a mission that he desires to do, which is to go on from them to Spain. Up to this point, the Lord has prevented him from going. He introduces himself to them and establishes himself as an apostle, one who has been set apart for the ministry of preaching the good news to those Gentiles who have not heard it. Now that's a pretty lofty claim to be making. But you will note that he doesn't start with calling himself an apostle. He leads off with the fact that he is a servant. Doulos is the Greek word, a slave of Christ Jesus. A slave. No title would be less honorable among Roman society. Yet this is what Paul refers to himself as when he is talking to them, and he calls himself this before he refers to himself as an apostle. Why would he do that? <clears throat> Why would he consider himself to be a slave of Jesus and that this is an honor to be bragged about? I'm a sci-fi guy. Anybody else out there like science fiction? I know there's a couple of you. I like Star Wars a lot. Not the new stuff. That silliness that Disney is putting out in the theaters, I don't think has anywhere near the, the, the wonder and excitement of the campy, cheesy, low-budget stuff that came out in the 70s and 80s. I love that stuff. And there's a part of the story of Star Wars that I find pretty interesting. It's one of the characters. If you're not in, if, has anybody here not ever seen any of the Star Wars? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it to you. There's one character in there whose name is Chewbacca. Chewie, great big ape looking guy. He's a, friend and plays second chair to somebody named Han Solo. Somebody who he is obviously smarter than, and yet he is playing second seat to this guy. And the reason that he is, the story that goes back, and you finally find it out in one of the more recent movies, is that way back when they first met, Han Solo saved Chewbacca's life. He freed him from imprisonment and saved his life 
And his people believe that when that happens, every moment of your life from that point on belongs to the person who saved you. Your life would have ended. They saved it. So you now owe them the rest of your life. I like that sentiment. I think that is an incredibly biblical sentiment. He saved his life. So he goes for the rest of the time that they're together, helping him and kind of serving him. This is virtually the same thing that Paul saw in his relationship with Jesus. Although Jesus, let's not compare him to Han Solo. Let's just not do that. Paul had been enslaved to sin and he was headed toward death. This is when Jesus spoke to him and saved him. Turn with me to Acts chapter 22, verses 6 through 16. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, this is Paul, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice, the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Paul was saved first. Jesus came to him while he was literally his mortal enemy. Paul was fighting with everything he had against Jesus and the church in a rage-filled attempt to destroy it. But he was only destroying himself. Then Jesus called him and brought him from the futileness of his sinful ways and brought him to true life. We can read further from the account of Paul's conversion that came a little bit earlier in Acts. 
that the reason Jesus was doing this was that he had plans for Paul, plans to make him into the apostle to the heathens. Acts chapter 9, verse 15 says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Paul was saved. He became a servant or a slave, if you will, and was then set apart as God's chosen instrument. But for what? What was he the chosen instrument for? For the gospel. It goes into a bit of detail on that before moving on. But it says in in the second part of verse 1 through verse 4, it says, The gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel or good news, the information about Jesus. He goes out of his way to point out that this was announced centuries earlier by the Hebrew prophets and it's about the coming, the sacrifice on the cross of the Son of God, followed by his resurrection from the dead. It points out that Jesus was physically a descendant of King David, but shown to be spiritually the Son of God. Thus he was no ordinary man. He was both God and man, and therefore the only suitable representative of ours in his substitutionary death, in his sacrifice on the cross. He could represent us on the cross because he was a man like us. And he could remove our sins because he was God. This is the gospel for which Paul was to be set apart. But it isn't merely the telling of the tale that Paul was called to do. He wasn't called to just go out and tell people about what happened. That's not it. That's not the summation of it. Paul wasn't called to just go from town to town and tell about Jesus and then leave and move on. It goes beyond that. As it says in verses 5 and 6, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Yes, Paul and we received grace through the gospel. But are we merely called to hear the gospel? No, of course not. Just hearing isn't enough. 
We are called to respond, and I don't just mean when people come forward at the end of the sermon to be baptized. We are called to something more than just hearing the gospel and saying, okay, yeah, that sounds good. We are called to obedience. Paul was calling the Roman Christians to obedience. Obedience means a change of one's life, one's behavior. If you think this isn't what this is talking about, just wait until we get further into chapter 1 in the upcoming weeks. Chapter 1 of Romans is some pretty hard-hitting stuff talking about how people lead their lives. It's exactly what he's talking about. Not only that, Jesus himself is clear as crystal about what he expects from those who are saved by him. He says so in several places. But it's right there in the Great Commission when Jesus is about to go back to heaven. He says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and Jesus came to them, came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. <clears throat> Sorry. Paul became a slave to Jesus. Do you think someone who submits themselves to being a slave to someone else just remains the same as they were before? Absolutely not. Their behavior is completely changed. And they live their life for how they go about how they go about doing their life it's all changed its direction and focus now is pointed towards serving the one to whom they are a slave the problem with most christians in my opinion is they get to the saved part and they're good with that like, oh, salvation? Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. I will take that whole saved part. But they just kind of stop there. And the problem with a lot of churches, at least ones in the very comfortable West, are that they seem to think that the Great Commission ends at verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey, that's it. End there. People think, okay, I'm in the boat. I made it. I'm in the lifeboat. This is what I'm here about. I'm good. 
They never go on to the servant part. Where they're in the boat and they take an oar to do the hard work of moving the boat toward the others who are in the water who still need to be saved. The servant part where they reach down and do the hard work of helping someone get into the boat, out of the frigid waters. The servant part of taking off their dry shirt or their warm blanket to give it to someone who was just pulled from those icy waters. The servant part where we go from being focused on me and what I want to being focused on what would be good for others and how can I lend a hand to help make that happen. But guess what? Jesus did give verse 20 there in Matthew 28 where he tells his followers teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now I understand some folks have gotten mixed up out of the best of intentions. They don't want anyone to get confused and think that they can earn their salvation by obedience. Like if I just do enough good stuff, then I'll get into heaven. And that's not how it works, and we understand that. Good works don't save you. But good works are what we are called to do. We were called to obedience. We were called to change our ways. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's interesting, you know, we talk about how many times uh, without even knowing what the other one is talking, going to be talking about, the communion meditation fits in with the sermon. He talks about the loving creator handcrafting us, and he compared it to uh, that loving creator of that knife handcrafting that knife and making it a beautiful thing. But you know what? The guy who made that knife didn't make that knife to be set on a mantle and, and admired, although when it's 80 years old, that's probably what he's doing with it. That knife was made to be used. That knife was made to cut through things, to be a tool to accomplish a task. We were created by a loving God, but not just to be set on a shelf and said, okay, you're good now. We were created to do a task. We were created to do work. It says about Paul that he is God's tool to accomplish his tasks. Well, that same thing applies to you and I. 
We cannot do good works to get into heaven, but I'm pretty sure you don't get into heaven if you absolutely refuse to be doing the good works that God has set for us to be due. Those two things just aren't separable. You cannot be a follower of Christ and blatantly refuse to do what he created us to do. It's a command. Jesus Christ has called both Paul and us to be saved, to be servants, and to be set apart. If you stopped at the saved part, you need to decide today that you will be the servant and you will be set apart for spreading the gospel to those who don't know it. The gospel, the simple, boiled down to its absolute smallest part that I could think of it, the gospel in seven seconds, I tell you, almost every Sunday, is that God loves you, that I love you, and that God wants you to spend eternity with him. That is a statement. It requires a response. And after we accept it and we receive that salvation, we become saved, then we need to become a slave, a servant and to be set apart for bringing that message to the rest of the world that doesn't know it. If you haven't accepted the free gift of salvation, I urge you to do so today. If you have accepted the free gift of salvation, don't stop at the saved part. Move on to the slave part. Please stand as we sing.